0: Well, we're continuing our studies in Second Samuel uh, this evening. We're in the sixth chapter, so 2 Samuel and chapter 6. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Bali of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubim. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of firwood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nachon's threshing floor, Etzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Utzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzziah and he called the name of the place peretz Utzar to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they bear the ark of the lord they that bear the ark of the lord had gone six paces he sacrificed oxen and fatlings and david danced before the lord with all his might And david was girded with a linen or ephod so david and all the house of israel brought up the ark and the ark of the lord came into the city of david Michal's daughter looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord in the name of the lord of hosts and he dealt among all the people even among the whole multitude of israel as well as to the women as men to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine so all the people departed everyone to his house amen we'll leave the reading just there again we give thanks to the lord for the reading of his word let's ask the lord's help we consider it together let's pray Our Father, we give thanks once again that we are able to come to thee who hast ordained that these things be written and, Lord, that thou hast guided the hands of writers that they should write words which mean something to us, that things are given for our instruction, Lord, that they are given that we might be sanctified, that we might have understanding even of those things which we do not ourselves take part in, And Lord, we pray that thou wilt give us the wisdom to learn from the scriptures rather than have to go down the same paths that we should learn in the same ways and in harshness. We pray, Father, that thou wilt give us wisdom tonight then, once again, as we see this thy servant David and what he did in his day. And Lord, how thou didst respond to him and what thou didst do around him, even to draw him unto thyself once again. Lord we thank Thee that though the path of sanctification is so often a rocky one, Lord, it is a, a path of ups and downs of triumphs and failures. Lord we thank thee, that thou hast promised us this: I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And so Father, we commit ourselves to thee, and we strive to uh, walk with thee. and Lord we pray that thou wilt help us in those days when we walk astray, to remember that from whence we have we have strayed and return unto thee lord to call upon thy name even as peter as he sank in the waters lord save me lord we know that thou will stretch forth thy hand lord bless us we pray thee and help us as we seek to overcome in jesus name we pray amen Amen. so i want to think about the verses here Uh, from verse 8 really we were considered the first seven verses last Lord's Day and there was a lot there and uh, indeed there is much more which could be said but it's bits of this and bits of that and maybe we will come back to consider some of those things uh, from a different aspect from somewhere else in the book Uh, so uh, difficult to construct something just from uh, the, the little bits which we left out last Lord's Day. But nevertheless, uh, we can remember how that David purposed to bring up the Ark of God into the place which he had pitched, a tent which he had pitched for the Ark of God in Jerusalem. Uh, But instead of seeking the Lord, as he had just done, we remember how that when the uh, pharisee uh, when the philistines sorry had come up towards him uh, that they might fight against him in the previous chapter in verse 17 and verse 22 that david in both of those occasions inquired of the lord and he sought for uh, instruction as to what he should do and the instructions were different the first was to go up against them the second was to come round behind them but when he goes down to get the ark of god he doesn't ask god whether it is the right thing to do He doesn't inquire before the Lord how this should be done, uh, but he takes it upon himself just to go and to take up the Ark of God. He doesn't do it in the right way because he takes the same method as the Philistines had used. The Philistines, when they had sought to get rid of the Ark of God out of their land uh, because of the the rats or mice, uh, the rodents of the land, and because of the emeralds uh, which they were smitten with, Uh, they inquired they inquired as we saw last Lord's day but David didn't they inquired how they should send this ark back to Israel and the instruction they received from their seers uh, and from their wise men was uh, put it upon a new cart and send it with uh, cows Uh, and those who are in calf keep the calves back send the new cart with the cows toward israel and if it goes to israel which is unlikely because it will probably want to come back to where their calves are but if it goes to israel we'll know that god was behind the smiting of the philistines and so they put the ark on the cart and sent it a new cart pulled by two milk cows well david uses the same method I don't know what was in his mind here uh, whether he thought that because last time it came up on a cart it was an easy way for it to be moved uh, and perhaps that uh, he was just moving it after all it wasn't any kind of a ritual involved here uh, that that would be fine but no it was not fine the Lord had given instruction to his people the Philistines knew no better the philistines had never had the ark of god uh, until they had taken it and captured it in battle and that was by god's permission but the israelites well they had instruction and there were those who specifically were allowed to carry the ark and david didn't do that and so the lord smites and the lord smites on this occasion Utsar. Uh, there's Uh, the the zz sound of English is not in Hebrew, so it has a tz sort of sound, which is why I pronounce it utzar rather than azar. (laughs) But uh, so it's utzar who is upon the cart, and we saw that his brother Ahio goes before the ark, and that probably means he was driving the cart, and that utzar was sitting next to the the ark of the covenant. Uh, The the oxen then shake the ark, and it seems as though it's going to fall. Utza puts forth his hand that he might hold it, and God smites him. The judgment falls upon this man. In actual fact, when we think about it, they are in a very similar situation. Utzar is too familiar to put his hand upon the ark of God, and David was too familiar to ask God what he should do with the ark. And so he sets it upon a cart, and he doesn't go through the proper procedures at all. And that was a problem. And that's what we were saying last Lord's Day. How much we can become so used, if you, if you like, to Christianity. No, we just do what, whatever, really. That anything we'll do. Instead of seeking to worship the Lord as the, as the Lord has set before us. We need to be filled with scripture. We need to be meditating upon the word of God. That we might worship him as he has bidden us worship him so in verse 8 this is where we're going to go from today we read that david was displeased because the lord had made a breach upon Utza, and he called the name of that place peretz Utza to this day that is the breach upon utzar so uh, there was a breach god struck forth from heaven struck him dead because he stretched forth his hand So in these words, then, we have this, that David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach. And the first thing we could say about this is David's heartbreak. It it must have been heartbreaking for David. We see that as the ark is being brought up, as they begin their journey, that David, in verse 5, and all the house of Israel played before the Lord in all manner of instruments, Made of fir wood, even on harps and psalteries and timbrels and cornets and cymbals, it was a—it was a, a almost a carnival. It, it was a, a an exciting time. They were they were rejoicing to be able to bring the ark of God now up to that place where they had just taken the 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 castle of Zion and Jerusalem, which wasn't built as it it was later on, Uh, we know that the the floor of Avrona was still a threshing floor, and that's where the temple was built later on, after David's time, so it was still a threshing floor, so Jerusalem wasn't the Jerusalem even that we uh, consider to be the old Jerusalem, or David's Jerusalem at this point, it wasn't very much more than the fortress, and David's house, which uh, uh, was was, uh, still being built, it seems, if we compare uh uh, chronicles dear oh dear i'm forgetting my words tonight uh if we compare chronicles uh, then the house was being built at that time but here we find that it is coming up to that place which david now has taken the castle it is coming up to the tent which he has pitched for it and that is his purpose to bring it And with all of this excitement and all of this joy, now that he has become uh, crowned the king of Israel as well as of Judah, as he had gathered his people together and everything seems to be wonderful. God is with them. God has blessed them. He has made David king. He has taken the fortress of Zion. He has fought against the Philistines on two occasions and defeated them. And here now is the great culmination. God is coming up to the house that he has prepared for him. And then all of a sudden, God opens heaven and strikes down this man because he has set forth his hand. We know that the scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart. And we see sometimes in David's life, the heart of David. On one occasion in 1 Chronicles 11 and verse 17, You might remember this time that David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem that is at the gate. And the three broke through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. But David would not drink of it, but poured it out to the Lord and said, My God forbid it me that I should do this thing. Shall I drink the blood of these men that have put their lives in jeopardy? For with the jeopardy of their lives they brought it. Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mightiest. Yeah, speaking now of how they broke through the Philistines just to get a drink of water for David. But David refused to take it because he recognizes they could have been killed just to get him a drink of water. They put their lives in jeopardy. And so he pours it out uh, as, uh, as an offering to the Lord. Because the Lord had spared their lives and the lives of men belong unto the Lord. And this is the heart of David. David does not want to see anybody slain. He doesn't want to see uh, death and destruction. Of course, he has been in many wars. He's had to fight in wars. But nevertheless, his heart uh, as a person before the Lord is one with a lot of compassion in it. And now Utsa is dead. And Utzer is dead because David didn't ask the Lord what he should do. And suggest to you that sometimes the the greater problem for us isn't the judgment which might come upon us because of our folly, but the judgment that comes upon others because of our folly. If only we would think first, think of situations where children are are lost to the gospel because their parents never taught them anything about the gospel because they never really applied any uh of the situations of the scriptures to the situations that the children were going through i always felt it as a as a parent when my children uh, were taught things in school to go through those things and say well this is what the scripture says i don't treat my children in those days as being christians because until they know the lord they're not christians but nevertheless the problems and the troubles of this world we need to instruct them what does the scripture say and is the scripture right Does does what God say really apply better than what men say? And here the problem was that David didn't seek the Lord. And it's Atzer who suffers for it. And David is displeased. He is heartbroken that this poor man, this man indeed as we saw last Lord's Day, uh, who is probably the Eliezer, Utsar and Azar being very closely associated He is probably the same man who received the ark when it came up uh, from the men of Jabesh Gilead and was taken there and it was probably the same man he had had the ark of God in his house for 20 years and he had become familiar with it too familiar with it as it happens and he had given his life to caring for the ark and now he has given his life because David has not paid attention to the details what a heartbreak for him. What a displeasure. David was displeased. Because the Lord had made a breach upon it. And he called the name of the place. He sets a memorial. Calls the name of the place. Peretz, Etzer. Unto this day. Whoever was writing these these things down. The chronicler who writes down these words. Possibly Solomon something. Who write down the history of David. He says, "I'm um, to this day, the same place is called Peretz Atza. so much was David's displeasure. And then also, of course, in David's displeasure, we have to recognize his humiliation. Here is a man who really was getting above himself, wasn't he? It was God who had kept him alive all these years. It was God who had sent Samuel to anoint him when he was a young lad out in the fields. Ruddy of face, we said at the time, probably uh, not able to grow a beard at uh, at that point. So we're not sure exactly how old he was, but uh, that seems to be what is being said to us in those words. God anointed him and he goes into the palace and he plays for King Saul and then Saul seeks to slay him. And he fights against the, the, the great Philistine, Goliath of Gath. He fights in many battles and, and Saul sends forth his armies to hunt him down and to slay him like a bird upon the mountains. And God has kept him through all of these things. And then the time comes and, that when David uh, and Saul is dead and David goes to Hebron. And we find that Abner comes to him and says, well, I will bring all Israel to you. And Abner dies. But still the people come. Still, they desire David to be their king because it was God's purpose. God had been with him all of this time. And we read in chapter 5 and verse 4, David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 40 years. So here he is, God has made him king. And then here is this stronghold of Zion, so close to Moriah where Abraham had gone to sacrifice Isaac. Just on that same hill or on the sides of that same hill. And he seeks to take it. There is something about Zion, even then. Perhaps there is some reference there to Melchizedek and uh, the king of Salem. Who can tell? But nevertheless, David desires to take this fortress, the the, the fortress of the Jebusites. The Jebusites say we can hold this fortress with the the blind and with the lame. David says to his men, whoever takes it, I will make him captain. And Joab takes it. So now he has the fortress and the Philistines come and fight against him. But God is with him and he goes out to fight them and he defeats them because God is with him. And the Philistines come again and, and he prays and he seeks the Lord. And the Lord says, come up behind them when you hear the going in the mulberry trees. Then come out and fight against them and I will defeat them. I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thine hand. And here he is lifted up once again. But now, as he is bringing up the ark of God, this is the God that David has worshipped. This is the God who has been his stay and his strength, his friend through his life. This is his testimony that God has been with him through all of this time and now here he is bringing up the ark of his friend who is god and god is coming as it were uh, represented in the ark who dwelleth between the cherubim and he is coming up to jerusalem and just as he is doing this really the very crowning glory of what david has become from that little shepherd boy god strikes atza david is not only heartbroken for atza but humiliated in himself God should bring such a breach that this time which He had set apart to be a time of rejoicing with the playing of all manner of instruments becomes a death knell. What a sadness! What a humiliation. But if we turn back in the scripture to Deuteronomy and chapter 17. We're looking at Deuteronomy this morning, it's almost the same chapter, it's only a couple, couple away uh, from chapter 19. But Deuteronomy in chapter 17, I'm reading from verse 14. And we'll see that David is, fits this description so well. And the Lord says, when thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee and shalt possess it, And shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to the end that he should multiply horses for as much as the lord has said unto you ye shall henceforth return no more that way neither shall he multiply wives to himself and his heart tur- that his ter- heart turn not away neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold now we know that he's multiplied wives to himself there's seven in hebron and then he has more wives when he comes up to jerusalem And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in the book out of which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. That his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, To the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. To write him a copy of the law. If only David had had that copy of the law, he may not have made the mistake. If only it was written in his heart. See, so often the biggest problem that we have is that the word of God is not in our heart. We have the word of God we're able to read the word of God but when we're in need when something needs to come to our mind to keep us back from some sin or other we don't know it because we've never learned it we've never really contemplated it you might say well I've read the scriptures all the way through from cover to cover and you may have done but how much of it do you remember you might say I read through the scriptures once every year and I've been doing it for many years but how much have you actually considered the scriptures How much have you committed to an understanding, not just reading them, but to understand them so that when you think you can go back to particular portions of scripture and say, you know, I remember there's something which is said about that and it's somewhere around here. And even if you can't recall the exact words, nevertheless, you know where to look and you can find it again. Plus the fact the Lord is able to bring from our minds things that we have read and we may not realize we even know them but once they are there they can be called upon how important it is to know the word of god david's humiliation on this occasion i would suggest to you is because he has not the word of god fully written in his heart now you might say well surely the word of god wasn't available like it is today there's uh five was it uh Five billion copies, I think I read the other day, of the word of God has been sold. The greatest seller, best seller in the world uh, is the word, is the Bible. Five billion copies which have been sold. So the word of God is everywhere today. But here, when we consider David's time, everything had to be handwritten. And not everybody would have the word of God in that way. They would hear parts of it, of course, just as you hear parts of it coming to church and listening to the preaching of the word. And so they would listen to the priests and they would listen to the preachers uh, who would say things from the word of God. But David had this, this peculiar blessing that he, in particular, would have a copy of the law because he was the king and he needed to know it. But it seems he didn't know it at that point. And so... The error comes, and the humiliation is upon him, and the heartbreak also. We see then also David's dread in verse nine. We read there, and David was afraid of the Lord that day, and said, "How shall the ark of the Lord come to me?" And this goes with uh, the same situation, doesn't it? Now he's afraid of God. He never been afraid of God. God had always been a friend. God had always been with him. And even in those situations where he had, he had been afraid of men rather than God, nevertheless, he knew that God was, was with him and he hadn't been afraid of God. But now he fears God. He fears God because God has made this breach. Because God has smitten the man. And it was all under David's auspices. So this is a, a, a terrible sadness we see here then David's shame, a continuation really of that thought of his humiliation. But his shame is keeping him back now from God. He says, how can the ark of God come to me? And I don't know what you've recognized in your life, but I've certainly recognized it in mine. When there is sin, when there is some error, when there is some failing in my life, I find it really hard to go back to the Lord and pray. There was something written in uh, I had a, an autograph book when I was a, a, a boy about eight or something um, we were back in Zor in those days in Hounslow and the old deacons were there and i had heard that people would get people's uh, signatures written in their bibles and the like and I had this autograph book so I went to the deacons and I said can you put, uh, give me your autograph can you write in my book <clears throat> and so one of them wrote in there uh, this uh, that he signed it and he said this book will keep you from sin sin will keep you from this book and he said to me and i still remember him saying it's not really for an autograph book normally you would write that in in the bible in the back of a bible because the book is the bible and he explained that to me and i still remember it which is quite amazing because i don't remember much but i was just thinking really here the situation uh w- which we could uh, adapt that little saying prayer will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from prayer and it does. It holds us back. We feel embarrassed to go before the Lord. Particularly if we've sinned that sin before. And perhaps we have said, and we were thinking just last Lord's Day, about taking vows before God that we ought not to swear by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or by the hairs of our head. That we, that we ought not to swear because we cannot be certain of what we are saying. And perhaps we have said before the Lord, Lord, I'm not going to do this particular thing ever again. And we find that we have done it again because perhaps in the heat of the moment or perhaps in a moment of weakness or perhaps because we haven't been before the Lord in prayer. And we we haven't been following uh, that discipline that we need to put ourselves under that we have been grown, grown more and more worldly. And then we feel, how can I go back to the Lord? I promised the Lord I would never do that again. And now I've done it again. And I I don't know what to say to him. I don't know what to say to him. And we can work through, if we know the scriptures, we can work through the scriptures and we find that God gives this testimony to us that if one sin against us, 70 times 7, that we should forgive them. If they come back in repentance and the Lord is greater than men. So never think that because you have failed that you cannot go to the Lord in prayer. Go to the Lord in prayer. The most important thing of ever that if we continue to fail in some sin that we make it a matter of prayer and we say to the Lord, Lord, I failed again. I need strength. I need more strength. That instead of giving up and, and feeling our weakness to such an extent that we're never going to overcome this, that we should more the more double down with the lord and say lord i really need more strength than this how can i overcome david's shame now is upon him and he's afraid of the lord and he says how shall the ark of the lord come to me what he really needs is the ark of the lord what he really needs is the mercy seat which is upon the ark of the lord where god dwells between the cherubim but he's afraid to bring the ark of the lord into his house and he is cut off so to speak from the lord we find also his sheepishness i use the word advisedly because it's a funny word to use in a sermon really but all we like sheep have gone astray and here david is really quite sheepish about what he should do how 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 can the ark of the lord come up to me so, David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed Edom, the Gittite. So, he is taken with doubt now. Maybe it's not God's will for the ark to go up to Jerusalem. David, as we have already mentioned, takes Jerusalem, but he doesn't seek God's face concerning the taking of Jerusalem. It seems to me, in, in thinking about this, that, that David is perhaps thinking, I'll take Jerusalem for the Lord. I will take it, so to speak, as a gift to the Lord. I, I, I won't go to the Lord about it, but I will take Jerusalem, and it will be the city of David, and it will be the city of the Lord. I, I will do that for the Lord. When it comes to the Philistines attacking him, He says, I need help now. I've helped the Lord by taking Jerusalem, and now I need help, and so I'll ask the Lord, and the Lord will help me. And the Lord just does help him on those two occasions. And then there's no prayer once again to bring up the ark, and it seems again that that David is continuing this kind of a quest to bring the Lord up to Jerusalem. And he's kind of doing it for the Lord. He's not seeking the Lord, but he's doing it for the Lord. And he is, he is overstepping what his, his circumstances are. And now he's not sure what to do. Because maybe the Lord doesn't want to go up to Jerusalem. How would he know? He never asked. He didn't seek his face, he didn't call upon him. He had fought the Philistines, but that was at the command of the Lord. And now he's seeking to bring up the ark without prayer. And he's afraid to pray. He's afraid to go before the ark. And says, how can this come up to me? Now he's in a situation. And we can be in a similar situation, can't we? Where we're afraid to pray. Uh, we don't know what to do. We've got ourselves into a, into a cul-de-sac, so to speak. And we don't know quite how to get out of this or what we should do. And David doesn't, it seems go and pray. And we can be in a situation like that so easily. And it's a downwards downward spiral from there. So in David's sheepishness then, as he has gone astray from the presence of the Lord, he recognizes first of all that he is now in doubt and then also he is in danger. What if the Lord strikes him down? Next, what if he sends somebody else in and they're struck down next what should he do where, where do we go from here we find that he turns the ark in there in verse, uh, verse 10 and carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite well Obed-Edom is another Levite so we're still in the, in the city of the Levites it's a Levite city this and so there are lots of Levites round about him um, also was a Levite and this man also, Obed-Edom, is, uh, uh, is a Levite. And he says that he was a Gittite. Well, a Gittite is someone from Gath. Uh, we have some uh, thought here, well, how can he be somebody from Gath? He's a Levite, and Gath belonged to, belonged to the Philistines, uh, Goliath of Gath. There was another Gath, and some suggest in their commentaries that this was Gath uh, a which was a place where the Levites were. But there's something else which uh, we find from this word "gath." The word "gath" means the wine press. The wine press. And, uh, and where was where was Utzah killed? Verse six. And when they came to Nachon's threshing floor, oh, this is the place where these things are done. This is a place of of uh, work, and perhaps the wine press was there too. Maybe this man was not a Gittite in the fact that he comes from Gath but a Gittite in the fact that he was a man who was from the winepress. Uh, we, we think of these things, I think of these things because a threshing floor. We read of, of the Lord Jesus coming with the fan in his hand that he would thresh the people, that he would separate the chaff from the wheat. We read of the Lord coming up from uh, from the winepress uh, with his with his apparel red because of the, the 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 blood of the grapes, and so it's a place of judgment. And here is this man then, who is to take in the ark, and he is willing to do so. We read from Matthew Henry these few words: "Obed Edom knew what slaughter the ark had made among the Philistines that imprisoned it, because we know that there was that judgment upon the Philistines. We mentioned already of the of the rodents, rats, probably possibly mice." And the uh, emeralds which they were which they were uh, afflicted with. He knew about the Beth Shemites. Not mentioned them tonight but they looked into the ark and were slain. And he has seen now Urza struck dead for touching it. And perceived that David himself was afraid of meddling with it. Yet he cheerfully invites it to his own house. And opens his doors to it without fear. Knowing it was a savour of death unto death only to those that treated it ill. We read together earlier from 2, uh, two Corinthians and chapter 2, and how the Apostle Paul says that he is a uh, that the preaching of the gospel, his service is a savor of death unto death to those who do not believe, and a savour of life unto life to those who accept the gospel. And here is this man, then Obed Edom, who takes in the ark of God. And He takes it in. And the Lord blesses him. The Lord blesses him. He blesses his house. We don't know how. It doesn't say how he was blessed. Perhaps he was blessed in in his riches. Perhaps he was blessed in his spirit. Maybe he was encouraged and strengthened. And filled with joy. But he was blessed. And not only was he blessed. But people saw that he was blessed. So it seems that it was something which was observable anyway. And the the message comes to david and we see in verse 12 and it was told king david saying the lord hath blessed the house of obed edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of god so david went and brought up the ark of god from the house of obed edom into the city of david with gladness there's a bit more to it than that but still david here hears these things and in his contemplations perhaps as he mulls over in his mind perhaps as he even goes to the scriptures to to find out now what what should be done in his contemplations david recognizes that the the judgment and the wrath of god seems to be past, and the blessing of god comes forth once again in the presence of the lord and we find that david having thought upon these things says and it's recorded this time in 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 2. Then David said, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. And verses 12 and 13 of First Chronicles 15. And said unto them, ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites, sanctify yourselves. Both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. So David is contemplating, now he has seen his error. Now he recognizes what should have been done, and this time he is going to do it right. We find then that the Lord has chastise david and so often these problems that we have in our lives when we sin against the lord we feel that we can't come back to him in prayer that is a chastisement the lord is seeking to instruct us and teach us he doesn't say forget these things just give up and go away he says no come to me come to the scriptures think upon them see the error and see what should be done and learn from it the lord continues to sanctify us I always love that verse from Leviticus where it says, um, Sanctify yourselves this day, I am the Lord which sanctifieth you. It seems as though, well, if the Lord's sanctifying us, why are we sanctifying ourselves? But the Lord says, I have separated you, now I want you to separate yourselves. And We come finally then this, uh, in David's delay in his contemplation, then it's to his continuation. For David sends the priests down and this time they do everything right. We won't go into that because we will continue to see that and what David does and what comes from it also. But the Lord is good. It's interesting in Mark's gospel and it's reckoned that Mark's gospel is Mark's account as he writes down uh, the, uh, the, the account of what happened in, De- in Jesus' life as given to him by Peter. There's a, 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 quite a lot of internal uh, reasons why we think that perhaps Peter was the, was the source of the material that Mark writes. But this in particular, this would be one of them. For Mark says in Mark 16, 7, But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. Remember, Peter had denied the Lord. Peter had gone out and wept bitterly Peter might easily have been in this situation where he feels I can't go back to the Lord I denied him I denied he told me I was going to deny him I said I would no way I would ever deny you I'd rather die for you than deny you but I denied him and how can I ever go back to him and here as we read and Matthew doesn't put it the same way it doesn't say and Peter but here it says tell the disciples and Peter Make sure Peter knows that I have called him back, not just the other disciples. Make sure he knows. And the Lord says the same thing to us tonight. When we fail, when we backslide, when we are in error, the Lord says, return unto me. Return unto me. Of course, it's better if we can get it right in the first place. Our memory verse in the children's meeting for the last three weeks has been, it is better, uh, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. We're explaining to the boys and girls there on, on Friday. That the sacrifice is really saying sorry. It's better to do it right than to do it wrong and then come and say sorry. Let's get it right. How do we know what is right? Well, we know the scriptures. Lay them up in our hearts. And may we do so. This scripture and all others. May the Lord bless these words to us.